When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 74, and we are recording on March 28th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello, hello. hello. Yes, yes. It's, tu- <laughs> it's Tuesday. We're going to talk over each other. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show. Why does it feel earlier for some reason? It's the same know. time as always, but I feel like it's like 6 a.m. I don't know. What I have is. discovered this is apropos of nothing. I have discovered that Trader Joe's sells hot chocolate on a stick, and that's what I have right now. I don't know what that means. Tell me what that means. Oh my god, are you vegan? No. Okay, then you will be excited about this. So it's you heat up milk, Uh um, and then the hot chocolate on a stick is literally like a hunk of dark sweetened chocolate on a popsicle stick. And then you stir it into the hot milk, and it melts. And it's like this perfectly flavored. They put like a little bit of spice in it. Hot chocolate, it's amazing. If it were 10 p.m. and not 10 a.m., I would put a little (laughs) whiskey in there. However, I'm working, and that (laughs) is not how I roll. But it's really, really good. It's rainy here and gross, and I have hot chocolate. And I'm sitting at my dining room table because I'm moving, so like all my office stuff is packed. Yeah. So like this is what's happening. Also, apropos of nothing except for hot chocolate, I recently (laughs) wanted some but didn't have any packets and I had baking chocolate powder and Mm -hmm. I made my own with with just it was just baking chocolate and and maple syrup and it was the best thing I've ever created and I was like I've been a fool all these years for (laughs) using packets like what was I thinking I have these things at all times yeah (laughs) I usually make hot chocolate with baking with like baking cocoa, like yeah. the Hershey's tub. Yeah. Uh, it's way better than the, It's way the better. Packet. And then like a little sweet. Okay. All right. Sorry. Before this turns into like hot chocolate hour, um, <laughs> let's talk about how the show works. Show title. <laughs> we talk about books, I swear. So this is a, a write-in recommendation show, which means you write in with your questions and then we recommend books to you. And it can be anything from, I don't know what to get my grandma for Christmas to I am traveling to a specific location and want books about it to there's a hole in my heart after I just read this book, give me more like it, whatever you got, we will take your questions and we will try to find books that will uh, fit those needs that you have, your reading needs. Uh, so there's a couple ways you can get those questions to us. You can email them to getbooked at bookriot.com or you can drop them in the show notes on the site. There's a form at the bottom of every post about Get Booked um, where you can pop them in there. If you have a time-sensitive question, please note it in the subject line or at the very in the very first line of the form so that we can try to get to it on time. If I think we're not going to get to it on time, I might email you back some answers. Um, and also, if we have answered a question similar to yours or we haven't gotten to yours in a while, but it's similar to one we have answered, I might send you answers that way as well, um, just so that you know we, we get you answers eventually. We're still working our way through 2016 questions, so um, I mean, we're also doing some more current ones but you know that you know how it goes if you've been listening to the show so i think that's all the housekeeping right that's all the stuff okay so let's dive right in i'm gonna read our first question and then i'm gonna do our first sponsor and then we're gonna start recommending some books 
So our first question is from Sue, who says, I will be traveling in May from my home in Canada to Glasgow and the island of Iona. I've read quite a bit about Iona, but don't know much about Glasgow, so I'm looking for books, fiction and or nonfiction, that tell the stories of the city. Uh, a few years ago, when I was preparing for travel to Edinburgh, I read most of the Rebus mystery series and found it was a great way to acquaint myself with the city, so fiction that is set in Glasgow might be a good place to start. I'm not looking for travelogues, per se, but a narrative nonfiction would also be great. Okay, so we have some picks for you, but first I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor, which I am all like nerd excited about. (laughs) I have to confess, our sponsor is Yvaine, the Knight of the Lion, which is a Christian de Troyes Arthurian romance of which I have like a huge love. I'm a huge Arthurian nerd from like childhood and also then I studied it in college. So like, this is my wheelhouse. Um, And M.T. Anderson, who you may know as the National Book Award winning Uh, kids author has worked on a translation and then done a graphic novel of this Arthurian romance uh, illustrated by Andrea Offerman who is excellent her work is really really good And, yeah, they've created, like, this great graphic novel for young adults, introducing them to an Arthurian legend they might not have already heard of, because Yvain is not one of the more popular ones, right? Like, everybody knows Lancelot, and some people know Gawain, but nobody knows about Yvain, which is sad, because it's a good story. And even more than that, because they are modern-day authors, they have decided to look at it from, like, the point of view of some of the female characters, so you see how the knight's quest interacts with the women that he encounters along the way, of which there is, of course, a beautiful lady and her very sly maid uh so yeah it's a graphic novel it's arthurian it's based on like these great you know medieval poems about arthur and the art is amazing and you should check it out it is out now so thanks again for sponsoring the show that's evane the knight of the lion by uh, translated by mt anderson and illustrated by andrea offerman mt anderson writes such interesting stuff like he always right? picks, he just did a ya is it nonfiction? I don't remember. A YA book about, like, the Siege of Leningrad that was right. about the, right. the symphony. And it's like, you, your brain is he just... Has, yeah, he has wide-ranging interests. Yeah. <laughs> like, super wide-ranging, which I appreciate, I gotta say. Um, okay, why don't you give us your first pick for Sue, who needs books about Glasgow? Okay, I'm just realizing that, like, when people ask for recommendations of books set in places that they're going to, I always end up picking books that are, like, set in the mean slums for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what's happening. Uh, so my my pick for you for a book about Glasgow is No Mean City. It's by A. MacArthur and H. Kingsley Long. And this is kind of a classic of uh, Scottish literature. So it takes place um, in pre-World War II Glasgow, so, like, the 30s, uh, 20s, early 30s kind of uh, era, uh, in the neighborhood of Gorbals, which is very you know, slummy, a very, very poor neighborhood. And you're following two brothers who are poor. Their father is really violent. Their mother's kind of downtrodden and depressed and ineffective. And these two brothers are trying to get out and make a success of themselves. So one of them does that by becoming a, um, like, crime lord, which isn't necessarily how you get out of a crime-ridden neighborhood, but whatever. Um, And he calls himself the Razor King, which is uh, a word that they, like, give each other. Because when you're part of the gang, you, like, brand your face with razors. It's very violent-sounding. And then the other brother tries to get out of the slums by having, like, a respectable job. Like, he wants to do the middle-class thing. He gets a job managing a warehouse. And he's, like, 
trying to make something of himself um, in a in a like legitimate law abiding sort of way. Um, and neither one it, it doesn't end well for either one of the brothers. Um, and the book is really a lot about how the environment that you're born into, especially when you're born into this like soul crushing poverty with no education and no um, social safety net, um, how difficult and oftentimes impossible it is to escape that sort of lifestyle. Um, if you've seen the show, I don't remember what channel it came on because I've been watched it on Netflix, but if you've seen the show Peaky Blinders, it is very much like that, like very Peaky Blinders-ish, except Scotland and not the UK or not um, England. So uh, yeah, so it's, it's historical. It's not about, you know, modern Glasgow, but uh, that historical look at some of the neighborhoods um, can, can be really useful when you're traveling to a new place. So that's No Mean City by A. MacArthur and H. Kingsley Long. All right. I, I, okay, here's what happened. <laughs> I went, what happened was, what happened was I went down a rabbit hole of like, I'm going to find the most Glasgow book I can find. And so I started reading Lanark by Alistair Gray, which is like, it's a very influential Scottish novel. It's, a, it's considered a modern classic. It takes, it's about Glasgow, but it's not exactly like an introduce you to the city novel I'm finding. It's very surreal. It's very strange. It's like a little bit like being in a fever dream. Um, I'm about halfway through it and I'm loving it, but it is not exactly like if you wanted to read the book that is like the product of somebody who is from Glasgow and wants to write about it, this is that book. But it is not like that. Oh, I read about this building in this book and now here I am. <laughs> like that's not what this book is. Um, but it was too late to find find another one and I'm also really don't want to put it down because it's amazing it's weird and surreal and really incredible um it's about this guy who doesn't really know his name he thinks his name might be Lenark um he shows up in this city he doesn't know what to do with himself he's having all these weird interactions with people around him who maybe do or do not know more than he does it's just strange and great and it I can see why it's a classic but like I wanted to warn you that you should read it, but know that it's not exactly going to like help you with touristy things. So I'm going to give a quick shout out to the mysteries because you mentioned doing the Rebus mysteries of Malcolm McKay. Um, M-A-C-K-A-Y. There's another author where it's different, but obviously I'll put it in the show notes. Um, and he's got a series called the Glasgow Underworld Trilogy. And the first book is The Necessary Death of Lewis Winter. And when I was asking around, I have friends who've been there or have like lived there briefly. Um, and they all recommended him as like the good mystery place to start. So again, that's Malcolm McKay, The Necessary Death of Lewis Winter. And if you want a really surreal, amazing Scottish classic, then read Lanark by Alistair Gray. All right, that's what happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the story of my Glasgow trip. <laughs> All right, Krista, too, is from Victoria. Uh, she says, with the political turmoil and fake news, I've noticed that I've been reading too much in my bubble and haven't explored outside of it. I know about the Read Harder Challenge, but that's not what I'm looking for. What I want is a book that makes the case for the complete opposite of what I believe in. It's not that I want to be converted. Or converted. I just want to know what the other side believes and what kind of arguments they're using to justify their ideas. To give you a sense, I'm an upper middle class straight woman. I believe in LGBTQIA rights, feminism, Black Lives Matter, and globalization. I'm also an atheist. Anything you could recommend that goes against that would be great. This is a really interesting question because so often we get like, I'm sad about politics. What do I read to feel better? <laughs> Which is like, well, bad yeah. feminist, you know. Um, and so we're, we're pretty used to answering questions about uh, that, like align with our political beliefs. But this is, I think, a really um, thoughtful 
project you're embarking on. Uh, so my pick for you is Strangers in Their Own Land, Anger and Mourning on the American Right. It's by Arlie Russell Hochschild. And this is such a fascinating book. Okay, so Hochschild is a sociologist. She lives in California in Berkeley. So she's, you know, deep in like the liberal stronghold of intellectual thought. Um, and she goes to Louisiana backcountry, like the bayou of Louisiana, to investigate the American right and why they so often vote in ways that to to the left seem counterproductive or voting against their own interests and uh, stuff like that. So she goes and she befriends Basically, she just, like, becomes buddies with a bunch of tea partiers in the backcountry of Louisiana um, to try and get at uh, a way of, like, humanizing them. Because often on the left, we can look at the tea party and think, well, they have no empathy. Um, you know, they're racist and all that. And that is not entirely untrue. But where that comes from is really a really interesting question that she was trying to answer. So um, she's trying to put it into context of, like, why, uh, like, especially in Louisiana, where environmentalism and pollution is a huge problem and they're... Um, Really, that's the state of Louisiana is ranked very, very low on education and really, really high on incarceration and gun crime and like all this kind of stuff. So she was looking at um, why people who live in a place like that would vote against regulations that would fix those problems. Uh, so it would answer a lot of those questions you have about why people who believe the opposite of you believe that way because of their traditions and the way that we're brought up um, and because of what they consider um, like they're standing in line to reach the, the end goal of the American dream and then the government is letting all these other people cut in front of them kind of a thing um, and, and how they got to that conclusion. It's just, it's really, really interesting. And she can be a little bit condescending, um, especially if, you, if you're if you from any sort of rural kind of area, the way that she talks about the people that she meets can be a little off-putting, um, but she quotes them. So like you're getting their words, but through the lens of somebody who probably agrees with you more than she agrees with them. Um, so it's a good introduction or guide uh, to that sort of thought process. So that's Strangers in Their Own Land by Arlie Russell Hochschild. Yeah, I went around and around on this because there are a bunch of books right now that will give you sort of this sociological perspective on like how Trump happened. Like I feel like all yeah. of those those book lists are called like how, or like six books for the Trump administration. Like here's here's how we got here kind of thing. Um and I don't think there's I, – I mean, I think those books are really helpful and useful and interesting, and, and uh, some of them are amazing pieces of journalism. But I don't, I don't know that that's what you're asking for. And so my recommendation to you, honestly, is to go to your local library and pick up some Glenn Beck or Ann Coulter. Like, if you really want to enter the belly of the beast and, like – or that's really dismissive. I'm sorry, you guys, but, like, that's <laughs> how I feel. Um, if you want to go full force into the other side, those are the people who are – you know, saying the things and making the arguments and they're on TV and they're giving interviews and they're, you know, on the radio, like they are guiding the thought process of the conservative side or at least attempting to. Um, and, and if you really want to see like what it's like to be inside of their brains, I think that is, that's where you could go, uh, to, to go full force. Now I was not going to get any of them and read them, um, <laughs> honestly, because my brain can't handle that right now. Like I'm not ready for that project. Um, but I think it's a worthwhile project, uh, and yeah, and if, and I recommend the library because if you don't want to spend money on owning those books, I completely understand. Um, so, but yeah, like go to the library, get some Ann Coulter, get some Glenn Beck, like sit down and read it, um, because those are the arguments that they're presenting for themselves to their own people, uh, and that might help to shed some light on what mm -hmm. you are looking to shed light on. So, I've actually read Ann Coulter's book Treason. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, it's, in a similar, like, I have got to know what her brain yeah. is like, sort of a way. Do you feel like um, you learned a thing? I learned how deluded she is, which actually is, it, it's it's helpful. Like, she's not, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this without being, like, super mean. But she's not um, reasonable. And so seeing how, like, the one of the, the talking heads, one of the heads of that sort of thought process in American politics puts together an argument um, was the most helpful part of that book. Like the, the facts that she's presenting, quote unquote, you know, are, are incorrect almost entirely. And the spin that she puts on it is is hateful and, and hard to read. But seeing how she does it and and why people find that attractive, I think, is the helpful thing about reading that book. That's what I got out of it. Um, it was so patently false. Like everything she was saying was so obviously incorrect, but uh, I still, it was a helpful reading experience. So treason is a, a, a the liberal treachery from the cold war to blah, 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 whatever is the name of the book. Okay. If you want a place to start with her. Yeah. So. so we'll link to that in the show notes, but that, yeah, that's, that's, that's my recommendation. So do with that what you will. <laughs> Go with God. Yeah, <laughs> Good luck. Um, okay. Our next question is from Jane, who says, it's a long question, so I'm going to kind of sum up on the fly, uh, is looking for book YA novels that have complex female friendships. Um, so what she's looking for are books that don't uh, make one female character one-dimensional for the purposes of making the reader hate that character, you know, like the sexually active cheerleader for love triangles or whatever, which I, it, it is a thing in, in YA. I see what you're getting at here, Jane. Um, so she says, books I have read and chosen for negative characterization of uh, a female character are All the Right Places, The Unbecoming of Mara Dyer, South of Sunshine, and Just One Day. Books that I have chosen for great female friendships and relationships are The Female of the Species, Girl Man's Up, Exit Pursued by Bear, Burn Baby Burn, Uprooted, and Goodbye Stranger. Do you have suggestions for more books, YA or otherwise, with really excellent female relationships? Uh, obviously, they don't have to get along 24-7, but I'm hoping for a more realistic, nuanced portrayal between the characters, whether it's platonic or romantic. Okay, so... I am recommending to you Dumplin' by Julie Murphy, which is such a good YA book. Oh my gosh, I love it so much. Um, it's about a girl whose nickname is Dumplin'. Um, her name is Willadine, and well, her mother calls her Dumplin'. Nobody else should ever call her that. Um, but her name is Willadine. She is fat, and she, but she like feels fine about it, even though her beauty, former beauty queen mom is like always making needling comments. Uh, so she um, has her friend Ellen, who is like, traditionally pretty and they've always had a pretty good relationship and things have been fine um but then she takes this job at a fast food restaurant she finds herself hooking up with this boy and then starts then she starts to feel weird about her body like oh he's gonna touch me and is he gonna touch my back fat and oh my gosh i like all of a sudden i'm feeling really insecure about this um so she decides she's gonna enter the local beauty pageant uh, to try to show the world that it's okay to be whatever size you are and to convince herself at the same time that this is okay and this produces strain on her relationship with Ellen um, and also puts her in the line of girls who she wasn't already friends with. And the reason I'm picking this for you is because there are a bunch of girls in this book who start out as caricatures. And then as the book goes along, all of these supporting female characters 
get to be two-dimensional, which is very rare sometimes. So it's a really, I thought um, Julie Murphy did a really great job of introducing what at first seems like the mean girl or the stupid girl or the bad girl, and then eventually giving them actual full personalities. And you don't always like them, but you you actually see them as three-dimensional people. So I think this book works really well for your question. And also everybody should just read it because it's great. So that's Dumplin' by Julie Murphy. Okay, my next, uh, or my pick for you is Done Dirt Cheap by Sarah Nicole Lemon, which just came out and which I'm just obsessed with. It's Sons of Anarchy meets Thelma and Louise with teen girls, which I just, like, how, (laughs) what else do you want from me? (laughs) The most Amanda book. I know. So it takes place in uh, Roanoke, outside of Roanoke, Virginia, which is like right in the the Blue Ridge Mountains. Um, And the two girls who you're following here, the first one's name is Tourmaline. Um, They're both 18. And have just graduated from high school. Tourmaline is the daughter of the president of the area's most powerful biker gang. Um, and she is trying to, like, get her life on this, you know, straight and narrow. She's graduated from high school. She's going to UVA. She goes to church. She doesn't know really anything about her father and the biker gang. It's called, they're called the Wardens. Um, she doesn't, she knows that there are, like, rumors floating around about, like, they're drug dealers or human traffickers or whatever. Like, you know, there's a sort of mystery of crime and, and ne'er-do-welling that would surround a biker gang. Um, but she thinks that that's all baloney and uh, just wants to, like, get out of Roanoke and go live her life. She uh, made a really big mistake when she was 15, and ex- and like the mistake resulted in her mother going to prison, so she's trying to like deal with all of that at the same time. The other girl's name is Virginia, and she has lived a very different life. Her mother is an alcoholic who got a DUI and couldn't pay her lawyer bills, so she sold her daughter, Virginia, to the lawyer to like to pay the bills. Um, and so Virginia has been working for this man who's – he fronts as a lawyer, but he's actually like a small-time criminal – um, and he sends her to this biker gang to like infiltrate it so he can learn more about them so he can expand his empire of crime without them interfering. And of course, Virginia and Tourmaline meet, um, become best friends and defy all of the horrible men in their lives and like go off to ride off together into the sunset as besties, um, solving problems caused by horrible dudes and it's just the best (laughs) like there's a lot there's motorcycles it's very intersectional um there's some interesting racial questions in the book because you know it takes place in virginia um in the mountains and one of the girls falls in love with a black boy who wants to join her father's biker club and like all of the weird stuff that goes on with that situation like raises a lot of questions she really respectfully handles every character in the book um including you know uh, like meth heads in Appalachia, which is a, a real problem in that area. And she's she's touching on that as well. So there's a lot going on here, but the main friendship between these two girls who come from completely different sides of the track is like, it's just, a, it's a joy to read. It's really great. So it's that's Done Dirt Cheap by Sarah Nicole Lemon. Hey, you. Are you, are you? <laughs> oh, okay, yes. Um, okay, so question four is from Valerie. <clears throat> Valerie says... My husband and I are planning a vacation on our sailboat this summer. We're leaving from the north shore of Long Island and sailing to ports including Block Island, Mystic, and Shelter Island. It, isn't that a horror movie? I thought it was. Hold up. <laughs> All right. That's off track. I would love some audiobook recommendations to listen to during our longer stretches of sailing. I'm looking for something that relates to our locations or sailing adventures. Bonus points for pirates and rum. I'm open to any genre of fiction or nonfiction. Okay, back. That That is a movie. Mystic Island uh, is Leonardo DiCaprio, and I'm gonna have to Google this later. This I thought it was Shelter Island. Yeah, okay, I don't know. 
Well, I'll find out. Yeah, I, I'm gonna, I don't know. Whatever. All right, you go. Okay, <laughs> I'm going right. to go Google this right now, actually. <laughs> you go Google. I will be here when you get back. Uh, talking about Pirate Latitudes by Michael Crichton, because you said bonus for pirates. Uh, it does not take place anywhere near your location. Instead, it's like, you know, Port Royal and Tortuga and all of that good stuff. Um, but I am picking this book because, particularly, it's not just because it's pirates, but also because... Um, a, it is based on a real person story of uh, of a like pirate heist um, for of of British sailors against a Spanish fort um, that had like a Spanish galleon with all of this New World gold in it in the late 1600s, um, and it was considered to be impregnable and nobody could ever get the gold out of this fort uh, for from the galleon, and they did. And then there's a chase uh, with the ships, and there's a hurricane, and there's all of this crazy stuff that happens. Um, and you know, Michael Crichton, I actually started reading him as a historical fiction author. He's written a couple. Um, and I then I came to his sci-fi works, and he's a very, uh, what is the word I want, deliberate author of historical fiction. Like, he clearly tries to get all of his facts and figures and descriptions as... Um, as accurate as possible, while also telling, like, a very, like, whiz-bang pirates shooting each other and strangling people <laughs> and, you know, having adventures on the high seas. Um, and this book is has a bunch of passages that are just super about the act of sailing, which is why I thought it might work for you guys in particular, like, about, like, navigating a treacherous reef or, like, trying to figure out the wind so that they can outrace the other ship. Um, it's very, very specific about its sailing stuff. I will give you a trigger warning. There are a couple of instances of sexual assault, especially towards the end of the book, which is not super great, but he does not dwell on them, thankfully. I mean, I think he treats them a little lightly, but the book was written in, I don't know, the 90s. Like, it's not, or early 2000s. I don't know. It, it, it's They're at least not uh, heavy in the book, so there's that. Um, but I did want to give a warning for that. But yes, it's very piratey, <laughs> super duper piratey, uh, and that is Pirate Latitudes by Michael Crichton. Okay, what did you find out, Amanda? It's Shutter Island. Shutter Island. Is the Leonardo DiCaprio. All right, all right. I still think Mystic is something. That's some I sort thought of that's a, that reminds me of like those horse books that you read as a kid, right? Misty of Shintikig or whatever. Shintikig. Yeah. yeah, that's what that reminds me of. But, but Shelter Island is also a movie and it's a mystery thriller. So oh. that, but the, yeah, I, I didn't recognize the <laughs> cast or anything. But Shutter Island is the thing I was thinking of. All right. All right so my uh, selection for this question is Sailing Alone Around the World. By Joshua Slocum. This is kind of a classic of the travel, travel log, travel narrative um, subgenre of nonfiction, I guess. Uh, and it's described as uh, the Don Quixote of the seas, which I just love. <laughs> so Joshua Slocum was the first man to circumnavigate the world alone in a boat, and he did that in 1895. He left um, on a 36 foot wooden vessel called Spray. And he left out of Boston. So it's not exactly where you are, but it's close. Um, and then he circled the globe without help or a crew. Actually, he did, he did take a goat, but then the goat started eating his maps. And I can't remember if he ate the goat or if he took the goat off the boat. I don't remember. Anyway, there was, only, there was initially a goat, but then there was no longer a goat. There were no other humans with him. Um, and so he has just like the most awesome adventures. And he's so crotchety. Like he's this really grumpy crotchety guy nothing like like modern travelogues like i'm going on a spiritual journey this guy is like i'm gonna defeat the seas you know um and there are pirates he encounters has some very dangerous and um life-threatening encounters with pirates around gibraltar uh there's also 
aside, like asides that are just hilarious. Like he 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 lands in Samoa and has dinner with Fanny Stevenson, who is Robert Louis Stevenson's wife, and it's just like, oh, and then I met Fanny, you know. And you're like, wait a minute, what? How did all of you people find each other? Like in the middle of the South Pacific? <laughs> How is that possible? Um, and then so he did it successfully. He circumnavigated the globe, and then um, a couple of years later. He went sailing again and disappeared. It was never heard from. So he's just like a really mysterious figure who did this amazing thing by himself at a time without, you know, modern navigational tools, um, just because why not? Which is a great reason to do anything. So that's Sailing Alone Around the World by Joshua Slocum. Okay, uh, sponsor number two, before we move on. I love, this is great. Okay, so our second sponsor is a title called His Alone by Alexa Riley. And this is from Karina Press. His Alone is the second book in a romance uh, adult series called For Her. So this is number two. My favorite thing about Alexa Riley is the Goodreads description of the author because it's actually two people. So like two people writing together under one pseudonym. Um, And the the Goodreads description of Alexa Riley says they specialize in insta-love, over-the-top, sweet, and cheesy love stories that don't take all year to read, which I just (laughs) am so here for all of that. I don't so much with the insta-love, but over-the-top, sweet, and cheesy that doesn't take all year to read is just like great. You know exactly what you're getting into. So his alone follows Paige Turner and Ryan Justice. These are the the heroine and the hero. And this is an office romance. So Ryan is Paige's boss. Paige is trying to outrun her past. She uh, has, she's like on this quest for revenge that she put on hold when she met Ryan. She's kind of lost her focus. It's her um, encounters with Ryan have kind of taken her off course from what she's trying to do. Um, and he's like burrowed into her heart and into her life. Um, but of course, you know, true love does not let secrets uh, stay buried, especially in, in romance novels. Um, and so when the truth about what's happened to Paige, which is about, about her father, finally like comes to light, Ryan will do anything to fix um, all of these problems that she's having so that she can be his alone. And so Ryan is a kind of alpha hero, if that's the sort of thing that you're into, contemporary office romance uh, with a really, really strong heroine who like makes her own decisions in the face of a very powerful personality um, that the hero has, uh, which is nice. That's a thing that I really like. So that's His Alone by Alexa Riley, and that's from Karina Press. If you want to read the first one before you read this one, um, which is not necessary usually in romance series, but the first one is called Everything for Her. And it doesn't have, it's the, the first one does not focus on these two characters. So it's that sort of thing of romance series where the side characters get their own book and then the side characters in that one get their own book. Um, so yeah, go check that out and thank you for sponsoring the show. All right, next question is from Brianna who says, I'm looking for comics with badass female leads, interesting worlds, and feminist themes. I've already read Monstrous, Pretty Deadly, Saga, and Bitch Planet, and I'm not sure what to read next. Oh, boy. (laughs) I love this question. Uh, I am going to recommend to you an anthology that is called Womanthology Space. It, there's space. a couple space. Um, there's a couple different editions of womanthology. Uh, there's uh, one that's called heroic, and there, this one is space. I'm obsessed with the space one, um, and I think there's a couple others. But anyway, uh, space is edited by Mariah Huner. Huner, sorry if I got that wrong. Um, and it is just chock full of these short comics and art and little, like, pieces by women about uh, space that are all graphic novel or comics-y related. Um, 
their narratives are like, I don't think they're more than 10 pages each. And some of them are by people who have been in the industry for a long time. Some of them are people who are brand new. And it is a beautiful book, like the colors and the, oh, it's like nice to touch. And it's, the pages are glossy and it just looks really, really good. I um, mean, actually it came out of a Kickstarter, which is, you know, it's, I yeah. And then IDW picked it up after that. So um, I just am super into this one. And it's got people like Ming Doyle, who you might have heard of. Um, um, who else is in here? Oh my gosh, so many people. Uh, and and some of the stories are like a little fantastical and then some of them are a little more real world, but they're all really good and it will give you so many people to then go and follow. Like it gives you a lot of artists to then go and, and also writers to go and search out their other things, which I always like. Oh yeah, Cecil Castellucci is in here. I mean, there's just so many good people. You will find uh, new authors and artists to love and you will get a really great uh, anthology of comics out of it. So that is the Womanthology Space, uh, edited by Mariah Huner. I'm going to go with. Okay, so my pick for you is A Force, Volume Zero, which is called War Zones, and it's by G. Willow Wilson and Marguerite Bennett and Jorge Molina. And this is a little bit of a tough one because it, um, this run of A Force starts in the middle of a Marvel. Uh, like comic wide event secret I think it was secret wars um so if you go in without any back knowledge of the event that was happening in Marvel at the time then it could be a little bit confusing but that's exactly what I did because I don't care about comic events and I don't follow them but um I think there's just so whatever anyway that's a whole other rant um but when I saw the first issue of A-Force it looked so awesome and I loved G. Willow Wilson so I picked it up and I was really happy that I did um so the first volume War Zones collects uh the first five issues so if you like it you can continue and and what's happening here is that all of Marvel's like most kick butt female superheroes are living in like the secluded corner of what's called Battleworld on an island nation called Arcadia. And She-Hulk is like their, I don't even know, not queen, but like she's in charge, mayor. <laughs> I'm just picking a word. She-Hulk is the mayor of Arcadia. <laughs> um, and they, uh, and the A-Force, um, you know, they all just like live there peacefully and are protecting their community and just trying to live their lives and all of that. And then because of the actions of a traitor, someone on the inside, a like hole is ripped open in space time and like monster sharks start coming in and you have, they have to like figure out who the traitor is and defeat the monster sharks, which what else do you want? I don't know. Monster sharks are amazing. Um, and find the, uh, the person who is responsible for all of this. And the thing that I love about this is that it's a team comic, obviously, um, because like all of the big, superhero names are in it and they each have like these really excellent shining moments of wit and characterization that are great so she-hulk is there um storm um uh, america chavez yes miss 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 america who i just love uh singularity who's a really interesting character Mm -hmm, who's like a a walking universe contained in a body and she doesn't ever really talk she she like says very little but she knows exactly what's going on and she's like a key to all the mysteries that are happening anyway it's just like it's a really fun, uh, feministy, world building kind of uh, superhero comic that I don't know. I just really enjoyed it. So that's A Force Volume Zero, actually, uh, War Zones by G. Willow Wilson. Extremely cosine. <laughs> okay, question six. This is from Emily, and she says. 
I love reading books about families and sisters in particular that have a hint of magical realism or otherworldliness to them. I loved the Greek chorus in The Weird Sisters and the different voices in the Poisonwood Bible, and of course, more straightforwardly magical choices like Practical Magic, Garden Spells, and The Wishing Thread. I'm looking for new things in this vein to share with my own sister in addition to enjoying myself. Can't wait to hear what you have in mind. Okay, I'll just keep going. Um, so I picked The Blind Assassin by Margaret Atwood, which is so hard to describe. I've actually been like... I sat here, I was sitting here at my table this morning, like, how am I going to synopsize? Yeah. It's like so hard. Okay. So the book, when the book opens, you're, you're um, following the account of Iris. Iris is a first person narrator and she is telling you the story of what happened to her sister, Laura, when she drove her car off a bridge in 1945. The, the death was ruled accidental. Um, Laura... I mean, Iris is not so sure about that. And then you jump from that to reading an unpublished novel that um, Laura wrote before she died. And the, no- the unpublished novel is about two lovers who aren't, I don't think they're ever named, um, who are like hanging out at a park. And the, the boy is telling the girl a science fiction story about a, a blind assassin in this otherworldly uh, universe who is sent to kill... A virginal, like, uh, like a vestal maid kind of a thing, uh, except he falls in love with her. So there's like the story of what's happening with Iris and Laura and why Laura drove her car off a bridge. And then there's the novel that Laura wrote about the two lovers. And then there's the blind assassin. So it's like a story in a story in a story. And the whole thing is really just about the relationship between two sisters. So it's super, super hard to describe. But every aspect of the book is, um, I mean, it's Margaret Atwood, so it's just, like, so well-written. The science fiction novel within the novel within the novel is amazing. The The love story um, that Laura wrote is, I mean, like, it's just so fascinating. Every aspect of it is fascinating, and every aspect of it is kind of a mystery. So it's a huge, I mean, it's a really thick one. It's, like, 700 pages, but you, you will not put it down. You will just keep going. And there's so much to talk about, about sister relationships here. So if it's something that you and your sister want to read together, it's really great. So that's The Blind Assassin by Margaret Atwood. Yeah, that book is super great. Uh, so good. All right, my pick for you is a very recently out YA novel called Winter Song by S.J. Jones. I love this book. I love it. Um, <laughs> it is about a girl named Liesel who lives in, like, I think it's somewhere in Austria is my best guess, or maybe Germany. Um, anyway, in, like, sort of uh, turn of the century around 1800s, I want to say. Um, and it, she, her family has an inn. And she helps run the inn. She's the oldest girl. She's got a younger sister and then a much younger brother. And But she is – she's the family is musical. The father used to be a very talented violin player. Um, the youngest son is being trained to be a virtuoso. Uh, and they're all getting ready for, like, this visit from this, you know, passing maestro who maybe could take him and, like, help him make his fortune as a musician. Um, but she is a really talented composer – but no one cares because she's a girl and, she, you know, everybody is, you know, trying to get the younger brother off into a career and she's just trying to, like, make ends meet for the family and keep everybody together because her mother is a little bit ineffectual and her father is drunk all the time and, you know, the usual. <laughs> um, in the meantime, when she was a kid, she used to play in the forest with a person she remembers as the Goblin King. Um, but now she's 18 and, like, that's silly. Goblins aren't real. Oh, except they are. Um, and so she, her sister 
is taken by the Goblin King, and so now Liesl has to go and save her. So there's a lot going on in this book. There's, you know, the music stuff is so integral to the plot, and it's really amazing. And then the Goblin King part is, like, very labyrinth to the point where when she's describing the Goblin King, you're like, oh, yes, that's very David Bowie. I'm into it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then the story goes off in these really intense directions, and I don't want to spoil anything, but... I just tore through this. Like, I almost missed several subway stops, which is not... I don't usually do that um, because I was just so into what was going on. And it for me, like, the sister relationships were so great. Um, and also the ending, which is a little bit not at all what I was expecting. Um, it just kept turning in these directions that I wasn't expecting, which is always a joy. Uh, so, yeah, it's magical. There's a great sister story. There's also a really intense sort of fantastical love story um, and it doesn't ever do what you think it's going to do. So that's Winter Song by S.J. Jones. And it's me again. Okay. Uh, Our next question, uh, question seven, is from Emma, who says, I'd appreciate any recs for books, ideally nonfiction, but fiction is okay, that show someone finding a life beyond their career slash work. I've recently moved on from a job that was my obsession to a job that's just a job, and I'm feeling rudderless and without purpose. If you know of any books that show someone getting back to basics or reconnecting with what's important in life, I think it would help me. I don't necessarily need a Walden or Into the Wild type experience, just something in inspiring slash encouraging about finding meaning outside the trappings of status and career. Okay, I'm going to stop for a minute. Amanda, you talk. Okay. All right. My pick for you is Barnhart by Jenna Wagenrich, and the subtitle is The Incurable Longing for a Farm of One's Own. And I just love this book so much. So Jenna is a blogger. She um, runs the blog Cold Antler Farm, and this is a memoir about her leaving her corporate life to go do that thing. Um, So she was working in, I think it was a graphic design firm or something, like in a cubicle, um, doing the thing that she was trained to do. uh, That's what she went to to school for. But what she's always really wanted to do is be a farmer. And so she goes off to do that. She has to, like, educate herself in homesteading. She doesn't know anything about it really going into it. So she rents a farm in, uh, I think, Vermont um, and, like, gets livestock. She gets chickens and geese and ducks and, and dogs and, like, wants to learn to be a shepherd. She's on a shoe, like a shoestring budget and dealing with her neighbors who she doesn't really get along with. And she's in her mid twenties and she's a woman by herself. And all of that is just a lot to deal with. Um, but she's, you know, following her dream and, and doing the thing that she wants to do. Um, and I picked this one because she, um, continues to work her corporate job for a long time in the book while she's also doing this until she can get her farm uh, self-sufficient. And now if you read her blog, um, you can see kind of the end of the story is that now she's moved out of that farm that she was renting and she owns her own farm in upstate New York. Um, and she like freelance graphic designs on the side, but for the most part, you know, she's in her late twenties now and has done the thing. She's a shepherd and she has like a hawk that she trains to hunt with and her life is just very different from mine. Um, but she's super happy. It's a, it's a memoir of a life of, um, getting out of a job that she wasn't connecting with, um, and connecting with things that she finds important. Like she never leaves her farm. She never travels, uh, which is not a thing that, uh, I really like connect with, but, but reading about somebody making those choices to like do the hard thing because it's the thing she really loves as opposed to taking kind of the easier road and, you know, making money, um, and staying in a career that she had already, you know, gotten a degree for and all that was, it's just very inspiring and encouraging. Um, and she doesn't have any of those status symbols, uh, anymore. She's, you know, rolls around in dirt and mud <laughs> all day, which is certainly not a status symbol. Um, but yeah, so it, you know, it is a little bit, um, 
back to basics ish, which I know you said that wasn't exactly what you were looking for, but that's kind of not the point. Like the point isn't go out and buy a farm. You know, the point is if you're unhappy with your job, do what you can to find something that does make you happy, even if it's just a hobby. So that's Barnhart by Jenna Walkenrich. Okay, I was a little stumped on this question, and then I remembered The Happiness Project by Gretchen Rubin, which I did love when it came out. Um, I initially was a little skeptical. It is, It feels like it's going to be very woo in a way that not everybody's comfortable with, but I thought this book and the sort of project in and of itself is uh, really kind of perfect for what you're looking for. So uh, on the story behind it is that Gretchen Rubin was on a bus and realized that she had no idea what she was focusing on in her life. Like what, what actually made her happy? Um, she was not sure, which I, it sounds crazy, but I super identify with this, um, because I have gone through a couple career changes and I I really, it's really hard when you have been at a job where you were 100% committed to your job and your job was who you were and it was what you did and everything else in your life revolved around it to go from not having that. You're like, what do I like? Like literally, (laughs) what do I like? I don't know. What Um, even am I? (laughs) Who am I? Yeah. Like what is the thing? Like what happens to me when I don't have an all consuming obsession? I am unsure. Um, and it sounds like you are unsure too. So in, in the book, Gretchen spends a year trying to figure out what actually makes her happy. And she looks at like research and she looks at, you know, um, other religions and she looks at pop culture stuff and, you know, trends. Like if, if the book were written now, she would look at Higa, like all of this stuff she's looking at, like, what are the things that are supposed to make me happy? What do, how do other people find happiness? And then how am I going to find happiness? Um, and in the way she details it all lets you do your own version of this. Uh, so I think it is super helpful for people who are like wanting to look at life as opposed to like having the job that makes you happy, um, which not all of us can have and not all of us want to have. Um, but then how do you figure out what the rest of life looks like, which is actually a much more difficult question than it seems on the surface. So that is my recommendation to you. I think this is, this is a book that will help steer you in a direction to find what it is that you like to do when you're not at your job. Uh, so that's The Happiness Project by Gretchen Rubin. All right. Question eight is from Samantha, who says, I have an emotionally abusive and manipulative mother. Even though I'm an adult who has moved out and lives in a different state, she's still incredibly controlling. Um, Then she gives some examples. Uh, She also has an awful temper and is on top of it very old-fashioned, so she hates my liberal and feminist views. If it weren't for my father, I'd cut off all contact with her. I thought maybe some books could help me out, maybe teach me how to deal with her. Every book I read about mother-daughter is always feel-good or ends with the mother and daughter working things out. I'm down for both fiction and nonfiction. Okay, I picked White Oleander by Janet Fitch, which does not end feel good, and the mother and daughter do not work everything out. Um, I don't know that this is necessarily a book that's going to help you learn how to deal with your uh, mother um, as much as it shows a main character who learns how to get out from under her mother's shadow and live her own life despite what her mother thinks. So the main character's name is Astrid, um, and she lives with, I think, Ingrid? Is that the name of the mother? I don't remember. Um, Anyway, she lives with her mother, uh, who's a single mother and is a poet and is also a bit of a sociopath. And so her mother um, murders a boyfriend who treats her poorly um, and is caught and goes to prison. And Astrid bounces through a series of foster homes in Los Angeles. um, And every foster home has its own like rules she has to learn to navigate. Their universes in and of themselves. And you follow her from her very young childhood up until 
early adulthood after she uh, goes from home to home to home, eventually ends up in like a, a young adult facility, um, like a group home, uh, and then is on her own after she ages out of the system. And all through this process of um, growing up in the foster care system, she's dealing with her mother. So she her, her foster parents take her back to visit her mother in prison. Her mother is still a famous poet, and a lot of people are, uh, you know, don't believe that she's guilty and are working on getting her out. Um, and from jail... Uh, her mother tries to control her life and emotionally manipulate her, emotionally manipulate her foster parents somehow. Like, she's just kind of an evil genius sort of a character. Um, And the main emotional journey for Astrid is learning how to be her own person um, and get out of the grips of of her mother. And it's not necessarily things she's super successful at, but she does find some coping mechanisms. And I'm not recommending this as like a how-to, you know, get out from underneath your mom, but seeing a a person whose childhood might have some similarities to yours in the way that she interacts with her mother face-to-face and watch her become an adult and become her own person might be comforting or helpful. So that's White Oleander by Janet Fitch. All right. I, it, it was hard to decide, not hard to find one, just hard to decide. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's been a minute since we recommended Boy Snowbird by Helen Oyeyemi. So I thought I would bring that back because it really, I felt like it was a good one for this question. Um, it is not exactly about an abusive and emotionally manipulative mother per se, but it's about really complicated family relationships. Um, it is theoretically a retelling of Snow White, but like it's a very modern contemporary story. Um, and it is about a woman named Boy who marries a man who already has a daughter whose name is Snow. And initially they are very, they're all very close. And then she has her own daughter whose name is Bird. Um, and then everything kind of falls apart between her and Snow and they send Snow away. And, you know, it, and then things uh, unravel further from there. Um, and what I think Oyemi does so well in this is that everybody has complex feelings and it's really hard to figure out like who to hate for lack of a better like you're like oh you are not behaving well but it's hard for me not to like sympathize at least a little bit with you (laughs) um but also like why are you being so terrible and it's it's really complex and complicated and um I don't think it will exactly speak to your situation precisely, but I will give you a book to read that is about really complex, weird family relationships and also family secrets um, and just unexpected things that come out when people try to live their lives as a family, and that might be cathartic in, in a different way. Um, also, I want to shout out a list on our site that is 100 must-read books about complicated mothers that has a lot of great uh, books. Liberty Hardy put it together um, last Last year, and it has a ton of good options for you on there. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And that's the show. Hey. Hey. So yes, um, thank you so much for listening. Please do leave us a review on iTunes when you have a minute. It helps other people find the show, and we love to hear from you. Uh, thank you so much to today's sponsors. And you can find Amanda and I on social. Amanda is I'm Amanda Nelson on the Twitters, and I am Jen, and I am Jen IRL, Jen with two Ns IRL. And uh, yeah, we will talk to you next time. 